So the, uh, the year was 1995, and a bunch of Northwestern yahoos like myself, my wife Jackie, and two other friends, we uh, made a three-day journey to um, a state we'd never lived in prior to that. Uh, in fact, uh, Jackie had never actually stepped foot in this state, but she trusted me, crazy as that was. Three days camping at KOAs and starting to get a feeling for southern summers. It's a little bit more humid than we were used to. But I remember the feeling. We were on uh, Interstate 24. And uh, we came around a bend and we saw this sign. And I got to tell you, we were ecstatic. Just the energy that we felt, we were so, we were so excited about what, what could possibly happen. We had a record deal with Word Records, and uh, the, the, the city was electric. It was in the mid-90s, Garth Brooks ruled the world at that point on country music. You may be familiar with, with that name. But man, all the anticipation that we had. We had no idea what God had for us. And over the next eight to ten years, God did some amazing things. Things that we didn't even dream of. No, we never became famous. Uh, the joke was we made tens of dollars and we were almost famous on several occasions. But man, what a journey that was. And that sign started it all. Nashville was around the corner. Now, the town has changed quite a bit since the mid-90s. That was a long time ago. But man, just that anticipation of what could be. We had no idea what these signs were, were, were signifying in our lives. And our lives were forever altered by turning that corner and seeing these signs. Now, maybe uh, you have had some big signs. Maybe not this sign or these signs, but maybe you've had some signs along in your life. Moments where things were never the same after that. Maybe, maybe those signs weren't highway signs or interstate signs. Maybe it was signs where you met somebody or there was a relationship or a career change. Some big sign happened in your life and, uh, and it, it changed. How many, people, how many people in this room saw a sign coming in? You must have seen a sign this morning. You saw a sign, come on. Even driving into this parking lot, you probably saw a sign. Uh, and, and maybe you've seen a funny sign recently. Have you seen a funny sign recently? Any, any of those? Signs are, are everywhere, and they're helpful. They're, they help us with directions. That's good. Uh, sometimes we can miss signs. Have you ever missed a sign in your life? Maybe it was on a trip, and you missed a sign, and you were like hundreds of miles off. I know some of the young people in this room, you won't know what this technology is, but there used to be this technology called a map. And it used to be printed on paper. Uh, there also used to be like road atlases where you actually had to turn the page and kind of find where you were. No GPS thing figuring out where you were. I think there was one time that Jackie and I were literally lost for like 100 miles because we missed a sign. But see, those old road atlases, not our, not our fault, those road atlases, sometimes there are similar interstates going through different states. We thought we were on the right. We were on the right interstate, but we were in the wrong direction. And that led us, I think, literally into another state. And uh, that was a fun argument. Anyway, <laughs> the signs, uh, signs tell us things. And they're important, but sometimes we can miss signs. We can miss things right in front of us. We're going to be leaning into that idea today 
as we get into Matthew chapter 16. So if you have a, a Bible or a device, find Matthew 16. That's where we're going to be today. We're going we're to catch up in just the first bit of that. And I, and I believe God has things he wants to signal for us. He has signs for us. And we don't want to be the kind of people that miss the things he wants to tell us, the things he's trying to get conveyed to us. I don't want any of us to miss anything that God wants for us. And we're going to lean into that today. Matthew 16, I'm, I'm just titling this message, uh, Signs and Yeasty Teachings. It'll make more sense as we get into the text. Um, but let's, let's pause for a word of prayer. I'm Pastor Ben. I'm glad you're here. Happy Father's Day. It's a good thing. We have a, a Heavenly Father that's perfect, and uh, we're singing about him today praising him, but let's take a, a deep breath. Count of three, deep breath. Ready? One, two, three, deep breath. Let it out, and let's pray. Father, we come before you, both in person, online. Father, we're, we're coming before you, and uh, we want you to do a mighty work in our lives. We want to see everything that you're trying to show us. Lord, help our eyes to be open to the signs that you have for us, the wonders that you want to do. And so, Lord, I pray that each of us right now would have eyes to see ears to hear, and hearts that are willing not just to listen, but to obey. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's do something that I, we don't normally do, if you're okay with that. If you can, would you stand with me while we just read the first 12 verses of Matthew 16? If you have a Bible or a device, I encourage you to follow along. Let's stand. It's the word of the Lord. And the Pharisees and Sadducees came, and to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. And he answered them, when, is, when it's evening, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be, be stormy day, today for the sky uh, is red and threatening. So, so you know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. When the disciples reached the other side, they, uh, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, we brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing amongst yourselves the fact that you have no bread, do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then, then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You guys can sit down. There is so much to unpack in this 12 verses, I can't even begin. However, one of the things that I wish sometimes with Scripture is I wish we could get the notes on their emotion. I want to see Jesus' face and the emotion. I want to hear the elevation, the tone of the language. Sometimes we don't get that in the text. So we're going to try to read some of that into the text today. First of all, let's just get this one out of the way of this weird mashup, this weird team-up 
you know, in the Marvel Universe, they have the team, team ups, you know, where superheroes get together, Batman, Superman. This is a weird one because we have, in very few places in the New Testament, do these folks ever want to share any kind of conversation at all. The Pharisees and the Sadducees get together for this rare moment. Now, they didn't have the same politics. Uh, they had a very different worldview. Um, they didn't even see Scripture the same way. And both of these groups did not agree on what happens after you die. These groups are as far apart as you can be. Now, they were still considered Jewish tribes, in a sense, but they were not on the same page on almost anything. But they unite in this one thing. Jesus is a problem. And so they travel. Look, the Pharisees are generally around in the different pockets in Judea at this point, but the Sadducees really didn't travel a whole lot out of the Jewish homeland. In fact, many of them really kind of stayed close to home around Jerusalem because one of the big things that Sadducees kind of did, they kind of controlled the temple. And so that was their home base. It's rare that you see them leaving home base hardly at all. There was one other time, and we'll get there, that they did that. But they come to Jesus, this weird mashup, and they want Jesus to do a magic trick. They want him to show us something cool. Show us something we're here, you know, we're important. Show us something. We've heard about you. We're concerned about you. Uh, we think you're a problem. So show us a miracle. And Jesus doesn't play their game at all. He says, no. He gives them basically a parable about the color of the sky when they're challenging him. And uh, see, I think he saw something here that maybe we don't, catch right away. They're, they're questioning his authority. They want to dictate to the Messiah, the king of the universe, what to do. They're giving a to-do list to the king of kings and lord of lords, and they don't even recognize he's right in front of them. The God and Father, Yahweh God, that they've been worshiping all their lives, is standing right in front of them, and they cannot see it. And they're willing to get, go toe-to-toe -to -toe with him and challenge his authority. You do us a miracle, Messiah. That's sort of the attitude I'm getting here. I, I may be reading a bit into this, but it's an authority challenge. So Jesus, as he often does, he doesn't answer them directly. He gives them a parable, which is, again, we found already in Matthew, this is sort of a new way that he started teaching by these parables because it, it forces us to get into the text. It forces us to really put our minds to what he's saying. And so he talks about the color of the sky. You know, the last time these, uh, we had a mashup between the Pharisees and Sadducees, can you remember in Matthew? It's going to be way back now, but way back in January or February. If you can remind, we, yeah, we're halfway through the year, believe that. Is that crazy? Uh, we, we, we had another moment where there, there was a mashup with these two groups the Pharisees and Sadducees, it was another leader who some would argue was Jesus' rabbi for a time. Do you remember the, the guy's name? He wore camel hair. He ate bugs. Come on, John the Baptist, we called him the immerser. The last time we saw these two groups get together was to challenge another leader. 
We have heard this story before, is my point. Matthew is not pulling punches here. He's showing us. That this is intentionally put here, along with the bread thing, but we'll get there. Uh, so, so they're challenging his authority. They're, they're, they're getting together. They have a common enemy. What a great thing, you know? Hey, let's get together for a picnic, and we're just going to be negative. That's what these folks were doing. You're going to get together because we don't like this person. And, uh, and so odd match. Let's talk about the Sadducees for a second. So the Sadducees, when I was a kid, there was a song that maybe some of you remember. Um, and the song had this way of saying the word Sadducee that was supposed to teach us a lesson. I don't know, but the Pharisees were sad, you see. You see what happened there? I broke the word up. Nobody? Nobody remembers that song? Anybody? Come on. Two of us will form a support group. It's great. The Sadducees were sad, you see. I don't know if that's a, the most accurate way to portray them. I don't think they would appreciate that. But they were a different group. They hung around the temple. Uh, they were very political. They were fine with Rome. Uh, we're going to work with Rome because it's financially helpful. And we've got to have a nice temple. Uh, so we've got we to make sure we're on good terms. So they kind of flirted with the Roman government, and they were happy with their position, their authority, but they did not accept the whole Bible. Well, I mean, obviously the New Testament hadn't been written yet. Okay, okay, I got that. Don't send me an email about that. I get that. But at that point, you had the also a horrible name, Old Testament. It's not, don't think Old Testament. Think the Hebrew Scriptures. So most of those had been done by then, but they didn't accept them. They only accepted the first five books, which we call the Torah. So the only, they only accepted the books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That was the only ones they accepted. And they thought when you died, that's it. So their, their theology was different. Their politics were different. Their whole worldview and their economic status was quite different. Now, the Pharisees were uh, in a different, different camp completely. They, they agreed with all the Hebrew scriptures, but they went a step further. And they also agreed to the oral traditions, which would later be known as the Talmud and the Mishnah. Those are collected uh, opinions of rabbis over the centuries. So they took not just the scripture, but they also took the oral traditions, which was kind of a problem because sometimes Jesus would bump up against their tradition, not the word of God. You see the difference there? And so they would bump up against that. And that would happen over and over again. And so they, uh, they had their traditions and they had the scriptures. And they, they did think that there was a, uh, an afterlife. They thought that after you died, you did have an afterlife. So these camps are completely different, but they agreed that Jesus was a problem. Yeah, I wonder if they were like, hey, remember last time we got together? Yeah, we didn't like that John the Baptist guy either. Look, he got taken care of. I mean, this is, the, this is how odd it was for these groups to be together. Probably didn't see each other until the last time they had a leader annoy them. But, but they come to Jesus and they're testing him. And the way that the phrasing is in, in Greek is, is it, it wasn't just they were wondering if he was going to pass it or not. They were testing him pretty sure he was going to fail. They weren't looking for really help from this Messiah character. They weren't seeking him in faith. They were trying to trap him, to test him, knowing that he would probably fail and they'd have something legal to do against him. So Jesus speaks about red skies. That's interesting, red skies. 
I mean, I'm wondering if they're listening to him and, what? Why, why are you talking about red skies right now? We want you to do a miracle. We want you to do something cool. And you're talking about the sky. And he used kind of a common phrase of the day. In the first century Palestine, there were some phrases they would say. And it would have to do with a red sky. And depending on when you saw the red in the sky, it meant either a stormy day or it was going to be a nice day. They kind of had this phrase they would say. And here in English, it would be something like, a red sky at night is the shepherd's delight. They said it a little differently because they obviously didn't have English then. But that was kind of the phrase. So Jesus uses a common idiom of the day to these religious leaders, which might have maybe sound like an insult. First of all, he's not answering the question directly. And then he gives the, this common idiom. And they're like, we know this stuff. What are you talking about, rabbi, wannabe? So there's some, some, some exchange here. And Jesus gives them a parable about weather. And then, and then he said, if you want a sign, how about the sign of Jonah? Now, this is an odd one. If you know the story of Jonah, it involved running from God, a seven-word sermon that changed an entire city for the good, and the, this fish. This is the actual fish, by the way. I, I don't know if you knew. This is the actual fish. I, I found footage. I did the research. This is not the actual fish. But I think this fish is called the monster fish is what this is. Uh, I don't know how big that is, but I think I've seen one of these guys before. But the story of Jonah is not a pretty picture. I mean, Jonah ends like he's mad that God forgave a whole city. That's, that's how the story ends. So it's not a pretty picture, but I think what Jesus is getting at, there is going to be a sign that they should be preparing for. It has to do with the number three, right? Because how, how long was Jonah apparently in the belly of this fish? How long? Three days. So we're, we could press the, the story of Jonah and, and, and all the details, but I think Jesus is really trying to get them to be prepared for he, like Jonah in the belly of the fish, down in the depths, is going to be, in a sense, down in the depths of death. And on the third day, rise again. But it's, yeah, I, I think if it's an odd choice that he would use the sign of Jonah as the big sign. And then what's interesting is he says, if you want a sign, if you, if you want a magic trick, you know, read the story of Jonah again, which probably for the Pharisees and Sadducees, like, we know that story. We, could, like, we have it memorized. And so it's sort of like, hey, go, go relearn that story. And then mic drop, and he departs. And what's interesting is when you, when you see what happens next, I don't know if you caught that. So he said, if you want a sign, I ain't going to give you one. Look at this guy, first of all, okay? Uh, and then think about Jonah. Bye. He mic drops and leaves. And then what? the scripture in verse 5, right? When the disciples reached the other side... They had forgotten to bring any bread. So I don't know, I may be reading into the text here, but I'm, I feel like Jesus is, he needs a cool down. He's, uh, he's frustrated. Can we, can we agree that we're made in his image? We have emotions. Jesus had emotions. I think he's frustrated. And he takes off without telling the disciples or at least traveling with them. I mean, the text doesn't tell us that exactly. But I have a feeling he's like, Drop the mic, I'm leaving. And his disciples have to cross to the other side. of the, they're, they're looking for him, like, where did he go? Is he, did he take off? And by the way, this, this quick movement of Jesus, we're going to start to see happen over and over again. Jesus is realizing the tension is starting to rise. 
And so we're going to see him moving quite a bit more than we saw before. And he, I just, I don't know, I could be making this up, but maybe he's, he's off, he's like, I can't, I, I can't anymore. That's what he's saying. And his disciples have to catch up to him. And then we have this whole thing with bread. And I think I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, that Matthew is very intentional with where he puts stuff. Remember, in chapter 14 and 15, we have these, like, groundbreaking miracles where Jesus is providing food for thousands of people, twice, with a Lunchable, basically. Right? We have two stories. And, and then we get to this passage, and the disciples are worried that they don't have enough bread because they misunderstand what Jesus is saying about this leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees, meaning that their, their teaching is kind of like a leaven that kind of infiltrates the whole nation and draws people off kilter. They miss that initially, and they think, oh, he's mad at us because we didn't bring enough bread. So I don't know if you can feel maybe Jesus' temperature here, but I feel like he's having a moment with his disciples that he really wants them to start getting it, connecting the dots, especially after two pretty big miracles where there was so much bread, the scriptures say in both cases, they ate and were satisfied. Our God is not a God of scarcity. He's a God of abundance. I mean, his first miracle, his first miracle was like 200 gallons of wine, okay? Our God is a God of abundance, not scarcity. And I think he's wanting his disciples to see this. And, and so we have this moment where Jesus says, hey, watch out for this teaching by these two groups because they're leading people astray. You know, keep your eyes on me. And uh, so it's a little cryptic, I get that, but he, I think he wants them to understand, hey, we're talking at a higher level now. Watch out for what they're saying. Both of these groups have things that are wrong, that corrupted teachings, these oral traditions that have now made the law so difficult that the average Jewish person in the first century would kind of be confused as to exactly how to do the Sabbath. It was getting that bad. And so he said, they, that this is bad leaven. Don't do this. And so he speaks of this yeasty teaching, and the disciples have to have a corrective moment where they sort of forget these miracles that he just did with all this bread. And then they finally, right, verse 12, they finally get, oh, he's not talking about the fact that we don't have actual loaves of bread. He's talking about the leaven of the Pharisees and so their traditions. I don't know. We can look at these disciples and think, oh, they were so dumb. I don't know about you and me. I think we kind of do this same thing where it can be like God has done all these amazing things and we still don't see. And we might even have the audacity to say, show me another miracle. Why are we like this? He can do these huge things. And in this case, I mean, I think Matthew's trying to make it so blatantly obvious. With the actual miracle of bread, right? He feeds thousands, bread. Feeds even more, bread. Now, when Jesus speaks of, hey, leaven of Pharisees, oh, we forgot bread. He's making it very clear that we can see great things, and then I, you know, God really hasn't shown up for me lately. Why are we like this? Lord, have mercy on us. 
when he's doing something right in front of us and we either can't or won't see it. I don't know which camp these Pharisees or Sadducees were in, but I can tell you, I hope you're, you're like me, that if Jesus the King is right in front of me, I'm not going to play games. The King is right in front of me. I want to see. I don't want to miss it. Why do you think Jesus repeated over and over again, have eyes to see, ears to hear, a heart that can hear, listen, obey. What is God doing in your life right now that you're just failing to see? You know, it could be that maybe God's got some signs. He's, he's putting them in neon in front of you, and you're not seeing. And, and maybe, maybe right now, halfway through the year, maybe some of those signs are, you need to stop that. And you know it's been hurting you. Or you need to start this. Or you need to, to shore up this area. I mean, work on this area. I don't know what it is. God may be showing you a sign, and I, I would hope and pray that we aren't going to be like these people that Jesus can do miracles right in front of, and they still refuse to see. May we have eyes to see, ears to hear, heart that's willing to listen and obey you. Maybe the kingdom of Jesus is right in front of us. The scripture said over and over again, the kingdom is not far. God is not hiding from us, if I could say it another way. I don't think God is playing a game with us. He's not trying to hide. He's made his will very clear. And sometimes we just go through life with our eyes Close. Are you in a place where you feel like you need a word from the Lord? Maybe right now, you need some direction from God. You need a sign. Just be careful because he might have given you a sign and you've done this with your eyes. Did you ever do that when you were a kid? You won't see it? I wonder how often we've done that. So maybe you do need to hear from the Lord, but I would say if that's the case, we need to live with our eyes wide open. We've got to live with eyes wide open. What is God doing? How can I join him? What has he already told me that I can be faithful to? Sometimes people will ask me as the pastor, how do I know God's will for my life and who I should marry and all of that? I think sometimes God puts opportunities, but we're not seeing them sometimes. What if we could be people who live with eyes wide open? That we would, we would, we would stay close to Jesus. We keep following. We're never going to do it perfectly. But we're following Jesus, we're hearing his word, we're praying, we're fasting, we're doing all of those things, not to check something off a, a list. We're doing that so we can live with eyes wide open, to anticipate that one day he's going to come back. And are we going to be people that are doing the work that he's called us to do? We're not going to do it perfectly, but that's the kind of Imagine a church family, a bunch of people living with eyes wide open, that we're looking around this town and we're saying, God, where are you doing something? I prayed for a guy this week that I've, I've, I've ran into several times on my prayer walks around town, and I found out his name is Mitch, and um, his dog is named Phil, which I thought was hilarious. He did not think it was funny, but it was cool. Like, I thought, it was, I thought he was making a joke, but no, his dog's named Phil. I thought, that's great, actually, now that I think about it. And, uh, and I got to pray for him. And uh, I wonder, what is around us that, that God is trying to show us? And may we not be people who miss the signs he's putting right out there for us. He is not hiding from anyone. May we be a people living with eyes wide open. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. We thank you for your love and faithfulness. Lord, help us to live with eyes wide open, to see where you're working and join you, to be your hands and feet in our world as we stay close to your son Jesus, that we would be seeing what you're, what you're providing for us 
that our eyes would be opened, that we would see. Father, may we join you in your work and live with eyes wide open. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.